0: Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Give to everyone who begs from you. If someone strikes you on the cheek, let them strike the other one also. Do. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Would you please pray with me? May the words in my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. There are a lot of churches in Woodbridge, Virginia. There are a lot of churches in Woodbridge, Virginia. Just from I've shared this before, just driving from my house in Dale City to get here to this church, I pass by 15 other churches on my way here. There are all kinds of churches in Woodbridge. Big churches, little churches, Protestant churches, Catholic churches, and they're all different. Every Sunday, those different churches are filled with different people listening to different pastors preach about different things. I wish there was only one church. A united, single church that people, no matter where they were in the world, they could go. They could hear the same thing, but that church doesn't exist. Instead, we have thousands of denominations. Because we just can't seem to agree about what to do with Jesus. There are so many denominations in so many churches that there are new churches sprouting up every day. My favorite story about this was when I was in western North Carolina, there was a brand new Baptist church in town. And when I got there, they hung up their sign on the front lawn. and said, Harmony Baptist Church. And I asked somebody, hey, how did, how did this new church start here? Where did Harmony Baptist Church come from? They said, oh, well, half the people at First Baptist couldn't agree with the other half, so they just went and started their own church. And they thought it was a great idea to call it Harmony. are so many churches out there so 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 many and it's crazy because it seems like there's so many that we have a new thing it's in our vocabulary these days it's called church shopping if you don't like what you hear on a sunday morning if you don't like the hymns that were being sung if you don't like the prayer if you don't like the preacher you don't like the bread you just go church shopping you go to another one next week you go to 52 churches in a year and you'd still have more to try out here in woodbridge church shopping now we start saying we're going pastor shopping I like everything else, but I don't like him. I don't like her. I'm going to go find a better him or her. People just keep looking for perfection. They want to find that perfect church with the perfect choir and the perfect preacher. And all of you have found the perfect preacher. Amen? (laughs) Look at him with his mustache looking like Tom Selleck preaching to you this morning. You know, there is no one real thing that unites all the churches. I mean, maybe Jesus does, hopefully. But here in Woodbridge, there's something I have discovered that actually unites a whole lot of churches, and it's called harvest parties. Have you all seen these signs on church marquees or seen flyers that go, Come to our harvest party. Maybe your neighbors invited you to their church harvest party. I haven't been able to go anywhere in a month without being bombarded by these big, bold letters. Come to the church's harvest party. And I have no idea what harvest parties have to do with God or with Jesus. My suspicion is that churches want to be able to have Halloween parties and not call them Halloween parties. They want all the things about Halloween. They just don't like the idea of calling it Halloween. Maybe they don't like the idea of kids in costumes or giving out free candy. And they think, oh, if we put the word harvest on it, it will sound a little more, uh, I don't know, nice. A little more appealing. But this is crazy. Because Halloween is a Christian holiday. And harvest parties are pagan holidays. Halloween is a Christian holiday. Halloween, All Hallows' Eve. It's a liturgical service in the midst of the Christian year. All Hallows' Eve? That's just an older English way of saying All Saints' Eve. It's Halloween. It's the night before All Saints. For us and some other places, they worshiped All Saints on Friday, the day after Halloween, but for us, we waited till Sunday. Today, for us to remember the dead which is why it has so much association with Halloween. It's about people who are no longer with us. It's about the saints who have died. For some reason, we're afraid of Halloween. When Christians get rid of costumes or candy, if we try to move it or tame it or water it down, it just reinforces our greatest fear that we try to avoid at all costs, the inevitability of death. We don't want to think about dying. We want to avoid it at all costs. That's why every commercial we walk, watch on television tells us if you take this pill, you'll look younger. If you get on this diet, you'll look younger. When we all forget that no one makes it through this life alive. Halloween, All Saints, they are prime opportunities for us to dance with death. Not in a way that glorifies the darkness that frightens us, but to shout with this resounding voice that death ain't going to win. And we're Christians. We're the ones who get to laugh at death's power in this world, not because it doesn't sing, but because as the baptized, we've already died with Christ, that we could rise with Christ. Halloween, then, is one of the most Christian days of the year because our God is in the business of raising the dead. That's what God does. It's radical. It's crazy. God saves sinners. And all saints, we witness to the ways in which God has saved sinners before us and made them into saints. We read their names. We shout them out. We have time of silence. We light candles. We do this because in ways both big and small, all the names we shared, they have joined in the unending chorus of laughter in the face of death's dark rays. What we did already, what we're doing right now is one of the most radical things we do every year as a group of people. The only thing that makes it more radical are the words of Jesus that Bob read for us. Friends, blessed are you if you're poor, because the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you if your tummy's rumbling because you're hungry, because you're going to be filled. Blessed are you if you've got tears on your cheeks, because you're going to laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when people exclude you, when people revile you, when people make fun of you because of me. You get to rejoice. You get to leap for joy, because your reward is great in heaven. This is crazy stuff from Luke. It's an announcement about the power of God's grace. It has all these blessings. If your life feels terrible, God's going to turn it around. If you're poor, you're going to be made rich. If you're hungry, you're going to be made fat. If you're short, you're going to be made tall. All that stuff. But for as much as it presents us with this beautiful vision, Jesus ain't done. He says, Hey, woe to you if you are rich! Because you've already received your consolation. Woe to you if your belly is full because you're going to be hungry. Be careful if you're laughing now because you're going to cry. Woe to you if people speak well of you. Because that's what the ancestors did to the false prophets. The poor, the hungry, their fortunes are going to be reversed. And that sounds like good news. But for those of us who are sitting well and happy with our bank accounts, if we had a nice full breakfast this morning, it doesn't sound so good. The rich, the well-off, the powerful, their fortunes are going to be turned upside down as well. This is Jesus, at Jesus' best. He overturns all of the previous expectations about the way the world works. He says, the poor are going to be rich, the rich are going to be poor. The outcasts are going to be brought in, and the powerful are going to be thrown out. We might struggle with these words, or maybe we think they're unfair, but God isn't fair. If God were fair, none of us would be good enough. God is unfair. God is in the business of righting wrongs and wronging rights. God saves sinners. God raises the dead. Throughout the Gospel of Luke, Jesus lives these words out in his life. He is forever walking out to the margins to meet people there. He is challenging the status quo. He is convicting those who feel they are too certain about what is right and wrong. In the same way, the saints of our lives are people who in their lives, they demonstrated a care not for the people in power, but a care for the people on the margins. People who stood up for those who've been forced to the ground. People who spoke on behalf of those who've lost their voices. But lest we leave today thinking that saints are just those very, very perfect, holy, super awesome, spectacular people. People whose lives can't be matched. Saints, they're not like that. Saints are just like us. Again and again in Paul's letters, he addresses the recipients as saints who were in Christ Jesus. For Paul, being a Christian and being a saint was the exact same thing. For Paul, the assumption was that if you were a Christian, you knew that you were ready to die for your faith. We were saying in faith of our fathers and we changed it to faith of our martyrs. The earliest saints, the first few centuries of the church, they were all martyrs. People killed because of what they believed. Then we come to something else that we ignore or we forget about. Christianity is not about being nice to people. Jesus wasn't killed for telling people to just love each other. The early Christians weren't martyred for suggesting, can't we all just get along? They were killed for being radical. They were killed because they said, the first are going to be last, and the last are going to be first. They were killed for saying, the poor are going to be rich, and the rich are going to be poor. They were killed because they believed in worshiping God instead of Caesar, instead of the king, instead of the president. And that's not even getting into the last part of what he said. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Anyone hits you on the cheek, give them the other one too. If anyone takes your coat off, offer them your shirt underneath. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods... Don't ask for them again. And that kind of stuff comes into direct conflict with the powers and the principalities in this world. Because if you say, hey, you, you think you're powerful, but you're not really in control, you're not really in charge, that's the beginning of taking up your own cross to go up to Golgotha. Because whether it's Rome, or America, or our bosses, or our spouses, or whoever, we are forever being told who we are. We define ourselves by the definitions given to us by other people. And more often than not, we do that by people with power. The people we respect. We think we are who they tell us we are. When we look in the mirrors, we don't see what we really see. We see what we've been told to see. For Christians, that's crazy. Because the only person who can tell us who we are is God. That's it. And if you believe that, then it drives the powers and the principalities crazy. Crazy. He says, those who follow Jesus, we refuse to be defined by other people. We are more than the people we vote for or the bumper sticker we have in our car. We are more than the team we cheer for. We are more than an embarrassing story that has followed us for decades. We are none of those things. We are who we are because of God. And that's it. Being a saint, then, is really nothing more than confessing that we have been saved by the one who makes an extraordinary community that refuses to let other people tell us who we are. All saints, it is a time set apart for us to celebrate the lives and the deaths of those who were here before us. It's not an accident that the text that was read has to do with death. Living according to this kind of proclamation is a radical thing, and it is a total thing. It's not... A few saints' day, it's all saints' day. It's the church's proclamation that we don't, not, we don't even know the names of all the saints who have come before, who have died to help make possible what we are doing this morning. All saints is about hearing and knowing and believing that you don't have to have lived a perfect life in a perfect church to be a perfect saint. In fact, if there is any requirement for being a saint, it's the admission that we aren't perfect that we are works in progress, and that Jesus isn't done with us yet. Chances are, none of us here will ever be killed for our faith. Part of that stems from the fact that here in America, our nation, our faith, are so tied up with each other, contrary to this obsession with the separation of church and state. But another part of it stems from the fact that when we read these words from Jesus, we think they might be a suggestion instead of being a command. Because I promise you, if you live according to the words that were read today, people are going to try to kill you. The people with power, the principalities of this world, they can't let people live who live like Jesus. It goes against everything they stand for. So we can give thanks. We can give thanks because all of us here, the baptized, we've already died with Christ. We've already died. Part of baptism is being brought in the waters to the heart of the crucifix so that we can come out on the other side in the empty tomb with Jesus. You know, and around us right now, the culture is already turning to the next thing. We're already starting to think about Thanksgiving. We're starting to think about Christmas, friends. There are neighbors in my neighborhood who already have their Christmas lights up. And we're already thinking about the commodified version. We've got to get all the food for Thanksgiving. We've got to get all the presents for Christmas. And today, we are reminded... That for those of us who are looking for happiness in a bigger house or a larger paycheck or a better spouse, we ain't going to find it. Those things are hollow. They will not make us happy. There will always be a bigger house. Always be a more lucrative job. There's always another person on the other side of the hill. All saints today that we cannot ignore, the great cloud of witnesses who have come before us and they've pointed out a different way, a better way, the way. The way we call Jesus. We know not what tomorrow will bring, but we do know that God in Christ is in the business of making all things new. God is in the business of saving sinners, raising the dead. Only God can tell us who we are. We're saints. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Amen. <laughs> Couple years back, right before the last presidential election, there was a woman in the church where I was serving, and she called me up and she said, Hey, my mom's in the hospital and she's gonna die pretty soon. I'd like for you to go and pray with her, and it would probably be pretty good for you to meet her since you're probably gonna be the one to do her funeral. I said, Okay. So I got in the car and I drove out to the hospital and met her in her room, and she was hooked up to all these IVs. She was kind of going in and out of consciousness, and I sat with her and I held her hand and When she had a more lucid moment, we talked, and I introduced myself. I was wearing my clergy collar, and she said, oh, so you're the pastor. I said, yes. She said, are you going to be the one who preaches at my funeral? I said, probably. And she said, well, I only have one question for you. Are you registered to vote? (laughs) (laughs) And for the life of me, I, I could not figure out why she asked that question. And I said, excuse me? She said, I want to make sure that the person who speaks about my life knows well enough to go vote. I thought this woman's gonna die the next couple of days. And with some of her last breaths, she's just trying to make sure that somebody's gonna vote. <laughs> Talk about a saint. Thinking about the future, even when we're not here. And that's what a saint's all about. It's about thinking about what we're doing now, how it affects those who are here after us. I mean, being a saint you all hear the names that you were sharing? I pray that one day when we are not here, somebody shares our name. What a blessing that would be. It's so one of the things about the saints thinking about the great cloud of witnesses is that when we have communion, we are paying homage to them and we are anticipating that day that we get to be again with them at the heavenly banquet that knows no end. All those names, all those people you shared, one of the moments of the Christian faith and the Christian witness is those people you've named, we will be with them again. That's good news. It's the best news. So think about that. Let's bow our heads and go to God in prayer. Gather us together, O Lord, in this place that we might hear you, respond to you, be mindful of how much we are all saints and we are all sinners. We give you thanks, O Lord, for the names that we shared, the names that remain silent in our hearts. For every person that made an impact in our lives, who have led us to be exactly where we are on this day. We pray that even after we're long gone, someone might say our name as well. And all God's people say.